is up, everybody? It's Lance McCullers Jr. from the Walkout Podcast, and I'm here with another episode for you guys this week. We're here in San Francisco, and I will be doing the podcast solo once again. My co-host, Carlos, you know, he plays every day for the boys trying to get trying to get us some wins. So he's uh, he's very, very busy, and honestly, don't know how he does it. I pitched two days ago. I'm still tired. So we're live from San Francisco. We're going to jump right in. We had an amazing weekend of fights at UFC 262 right down here in Houston. Unfortunately, we could not go for the fights, but uh, we watched them, and I have lots to talk about. So inning number one, Charles Oliveira, your new 155-pound world champion. All right, guys, welcome into A number one. And of course, we are going to start right off the bat with Charles Oliveira. He is your new 155 world champion in the UFC. A, a very long road for Charles. Charles signed with the UFC back in, I believe it was 2010, maybe. He's been a 10 plus year veteran in the UFC. It, it took a division change, um, it took a long road, but he is finally. Um, reached his goal and is the UFC champion. And this fight for me had had pretty much everything. This was one of those fights highly anticipated. Um, and we still didn't know a lot about Michael Chandler because we only saw him for near 30 seconds when he fought Dan Hooker and he knocked him out. Uh, so this was a fight for me that I was interested to see because I really wanted to see what Charles Oliveira had to offer. He was fighting someone who had power. He was fighting someone who has cardio. He was fighting someone who is a uh, is an excellent wrestler. And so I was I was expecting, honestly, for a, a little bit more of a stand up there in the first round. We we had a little bit of uh, a little bit of ground tag. Uh, Chandler actually gave his back to Oliveira. Oliveira uh, did a nice job, but Chandler got out of it. But what I loved most about this fight was you saw Charles Oliveira um, become a champion right in front of our eyes. And what I mean by that is in the first round, he was in trouble. That first round looked like Chandler was going to finish him. Um, he hit him with a nice few shots. He stunned him once or twice, actually ended up um, on top of Char- um, Charles, um, you know, it, uh, in, in full guard. But it looked like Chandler's fight to, to, to win. It looked like it was going to be a first-round knockout. And something inside of Charles Oliveira, something that Chandler actually touched on, um, he said, Charles Oliveira, I'm going to make him quit. He's quit before. I'm going to make him quit again. And, we, and we've seen in the past, you know, Charles not be assertive in, in, in fights and they kind of get away from him. But in that first round when he got stunned, he did what he did what great mixed martial artists do. He did what champions do. He survived. He reminded me of Usman in the first round against Burns when he went for the takedown. And he gets the takedown and he has time to recover. Um, or when he was in closed guard, he did a nice job defending against Chandler. And the second round, he comes out, and honestly, you could see that that Oliveira was the better fighter. You could see he's better on the mat. You could see he's more technical with his strikes. Chandler had uh, kind of that 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 rush move where he just rushed Charles and, and, and overwhelmed him with strikes. But in the second round, when Chandler kind of initiated that um, that sequence, Chandler really really sat down on himself. He, he was, he was confident in his ability to strike with them and he hit him with a beautiful left check hook. And that was the be- that was the beginning of the end. And if you go back to the first round, Oliveira, when he was hurt, what did he do? He went straight for a takedown. He went for the takedown. He recovered and he did a great job um, surviving in that round. When I thought along with a lot of other people that Michael Chandler was going to finish him. And when Oliveira stunned Chandler, what did Chandler do? 
He went back to the cage and started running down the cage line. And Oliveira ended up by catching him with another left and ended up by knocking him out. So that small difference was the reason that Oliveira is now the 155 champ and and uh, not Michael Chandler. Simply because uh, being a UFC veteran, being a veteran in this game, and understanding what he had to do to survive. I was very impressed with Oliveira, and he showed us why that he's going to be a great champion. I don't know in that division who is really going to be able to hang with Oliveira. He's very tall. He's very long for that division. Uh, you could clearly see the size difference between him and Chandler. Not everyone is as small as Chandler, but he's a big 155er. He's a big 55er, and he has the ability to strike. He has power. He has world-class, probably bar none, the best jiu-jitsu inside the UFC. So you know he's good on the mat. You know he's not going to gas. So he's showing us what a champion needs to look like in today's world in the UFC. This was the guy that could have possibly given Habib a run for his money. And this is the guy that we all thought Tony Ferguson was going to become. This is the guy we saw Tony Ferguson being. Someone who could strike. Someone who could wrestle. Someone who could you know, work in the clinch. Someone who had great jiu-jitsu. Someone who had cardio. This is the guy that I thought Tony Ferguson was going to become. But lo and behold, Charles Oliveira, and is, and is I think he's 31, 32 years old, is now the new champion and the best division inside the UFC – and he has ways to beat every single person that he fights. He's very similar to Habib in the fact that he has something better than everyone. Habib, it was, it was his grappling, his wrestling ability. Oliveira, no one wants to go to the mat with him. He's a nightmare on the mat, which means he gets to control the pace. He gets, he gets to control the fight. And that's what happened. Oliveira controlled this fight. When he wanted to go on the ground and recover, he was on the ground. When he needed some time, you know, when he wanted to strike, he, he, he would strike. After those first couple onslaughts of, of Chandler really kind of rushing him and, and, and throwing those, those, those big punches, Oliveira seemed very comfortable. He seemed, you know, he seemed very, uh, very, very understanding of what was going to come next from Chandler. He showed a chin. I mean, he just shows, he shows you what, what a champion inside the UFC nowadays looks like. And, and, and it's great to see someone that has, has been through so much, has so many fights inside the UFC, um, Really come out of the other side and, and, and become a great a great fighter. And, and someone I believe will be a great champion. You look at that division, you have Poirier, you have McGregor. Uh, Hooker is still kind of out there looming a little bit. Uh, Chandler still in the mix there. Um, and then you, uh, you of course, you have Justin Gaethje. So there are going to be plenty of guys who are going to be lining up to fight this man. But I think he will reign for quite some time unless um, unless he faces someone – like a Habib or, or, or someone of that, of that type of stature who can go toe to toe with him on the ground and, um, and, and control the fight on their pace. So what's next? You ask what's next for Charles Oliveira. What's next for Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler. I think he just needs to wait and see how this plays out. I think he has the Gaethje fight sitting out there. I think he has a possible fight with a Poirier with a McGregor. He has showed us that he is most definitely worthy of the hype. That came that he came into the UFC with. If you remember back in October, he was actually the replacement guy for the fight of Habib versus Gaethje. That was a fight that Habib ended up by walking away. Um, he was a replacement fight. He was coming over from Bellator, and Dana White made him the guy who was going to get the shot. If for some reason one of those guys wasn't able to fight, 
So he came over here with a lot of expectations, and I still believe that Michael Chandler could be champion of this division. He gave Charles Oliveira a little bit of a run for his money. Um, it, 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 it was honestly, it was great to see. It was great, great to see new blood inside the UFC compete at this level. And um, I think he has one or two pretty big mega fights to get him right back in to that title contention. As far as Charles Oliveira goes, he waits and sees now. He's the king. He's the king. And I believe that that fight with Connor and Poirier is going to be for his next opponent. And honestly, for for Connor's sake, um, I hope it's not because Charles Oliveira, um, Charles Oliveira is a bad man. And I would love to see Connor. Uh, win that Poirier fight and maybe fight someone like Justin Gaethje. Um, I think Charles Oliveira uh, should wait and see. But the red panty night is always looming. So if Conor McGregor wins that fight, it will be a Charles Oliveira versus McGregor. But um, we will have to see what happens in July. But plenty of options for both of these guys. Uh, their UFC futures are bright. All right, guys. Welcome into aim number two. And unfortunately, a sad segment, at least for me, Tony Ferguson not sure if you guys were able to catch this fight this weekend. It was a pay-per-view fight, but let me paint the picture for you. Tony, the man we once knew, El Kakui, is no more. He honestly looks like a shell of himself. It was one of the worst UFC performances I think I've ever watched. And 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 that's being, um, being kind of generous, uh, honestly. Uh, he doesn't look like he really knows what's going on right now inside that inside that octagon. He had that fight against Gaethje last summer, and ever since that fight, ever since those big shots landed, um, he went through that war. He was not the same against Charles Oliveira. He had a he took a really bad arm injury against Oliveira, and now in this fight, we haven't heard yet, but I would assume he had a pre- he has a pretty bad knee injury from when Dariush had him in a heel hook. Uh, Dariush is a good fighter. He is a good fighter. He has great jiu-jitsu. He has a solid stand-up. He hits pretty hard. But this fight for me was more about the lack of, uh, of Tony being able to do anything. There was a great comment made during the fight by one of the commentators. I forget who it was. And he said, Tony Ferguson is at a point in his career or basically all of his – you know, awkwardness, all of his unique style of fighting and training is kind of coming to a head and at a point in his career where he needs fundamentals. He needs to know how to strike. He needs to know how to grapple. He needs to know how to you know transition from fighting, you know, from standing to jujitsu. Um, he just doesn't know how to do it because he's never practiced it that way. He's never really been a guy who covers the basics and has, has built a foundation. He's always been someone who's been explosive and someone who's been unique and you know kind of crazy in the way that he goes about his business. But unfortunately now he's at a crossroads where all of that, he is gone. He's not explosive anymore. What he's doing in the octagon, it doesn't look unique. It doesn't look, um, you know, special to, to his brand. It looks awkward and slow and, almost looks like there's a guy in there that doesn't really know what what's going on. And I feel for Tony, you know, he, he's, he's been through wars inside the UFC. He was on a 12 fight winning streak, uh, before that, um, before that Gaethje fight. Now he's on a three fight burner. Um, but when you fight 
the top of the top of the division, the Gaethje's and the Oliveira, and you lose in the fashion that you did lose to them. And then you fight and you fight Darius. Someone is coming up inside that top ten and wants to be a new contender, and you really don't even win a minute of the fifteen minute fight. To me, it seems like maybe it's close to the end, and it was it was a tough scene. Tony said he's not going to retire. Tony said now he's pissed off and all of these type of things. But we've seen one thing inside the UFC right now. We've seen legends. Tyron Woodley. We've seen Romero. We've seen all of these guys toward the back half of their careers, toward the end of their careers, making big time money. Tony Ferguson made well over half a million dollars in this last bout. And... This is not the performance that the big boss, Dana White, wants to see. And if and if his last few months tells us anything, Tony Ferguson could be coming toward the end of his UFC career. I would like to see him either retire or I would like him to maybe fight Cowboy Cerrone. They had a good scrap back in the day. Cowboy's on a, on a, on a losing streak. Tony's on a losing streak. Unfortunately, both of those guys look like their time is coming near. It will be a cool fight for the fans. It could be a cool fight for them. Maybe they both get that fight and it's their last fight inside the UFC and one of those guys gets to get a W and kind of go off into the sunset. But Tony Ferguson, legend in this game, going to be a UFC Hall of Famer. But it's uh, it's tough to watch right now. And hopefully um, he realizes what he either needs to do to you know become better or he realizes that maybe um, it's the end. All right, in number three, and we're talking Edison Barbosa. In my opinion, one of the most fun fights of the night. It did win five of the night against my boy Shane Burgos. That's my guy right there. Unfortunately, he was on another, um, on the other side of a uh, of another uh, KO. But when 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 Shane Burgos comes to fight, you know you're going to see something special. And he got that bonus and Edison Barbosa put up an amazing fight. Edison landed about a hundred significant strikes within the two and a half rounds um, that they fought. That was a crazy pace. And Burgos was up there around the 90 mark. So these guys are going back and forth, back and forth. But what impressed me so much about Edison Barbosa is Edison Barbosa, when he was at 155, he, he, he was having a hard time. He had losses to Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder. And he decided, you know what? Going to drop the weight, going to go to 145. I feel like my frame can handle it. I feel like, you know, I'll be taller, stronger fighter at 145. And when he fought Dan Ige, that was back in May, I believe, of 2020. That was one of the biggest um, judge mishaps that I that I can remember. He clearly won that fight, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion. But it showed that he was for real at 145. He was for real. He was going to be a force to be reckoned with um, because Dan Ige was someone that a lot of uh, that a lot of dudes respect. And he comes into this fight against Shane Burgos, who is a massive threat in this division. He's someone that has one shot, clean knockout power. He's fought big time guys. He's fought Calvin Cater. He's had a lot of great performances inside the UFC. So Edison Barbosa taking this fight along with Shane Burgos taking this fight was kind of a big pinnacle. Uh, for both of these men, because either one of these dudes who won this fight was going to be set up inside this division because Josh Emmett's sitting there at six. He's recovering from, from um, knee surgery when he fought uh, Shane Burgos back a few months ago. That was another great fight. 
Um, so Edison Barbosa is now ranked number nine, which is it, which is right side that top 10. You have Danny Gay right in front of him who he already fought and they're not going to run that back. You have Josh Emmett sitting there at six who is recovering from surgery. So he's not going to be available for fight. And I believe Edison Barbosa at this point in his career, the UFC is going to push him. He's not getting any younger. He's been around the UFC for a long, long, long time. So I could most definitely see an Edison Barbosa versus Calvin Cater. I could see Edison Barbosa versus uh, versus Korean Zombie if he'd be willing to do that. Edison Barbosa with this performance, with this knockout on this pay-per-view card, this is going to propel him up to get a fight close to that top five. And if he gets a fight in that top five, he fights a Calvin Cater, he fights a, a, a Yair Rodriguez, he fights a Korean Zombie, he is going to be right in the mix for a pop, for a potential title fight. I think uh, a Brian Ortega versus um, Edison Barbosa, if he doesn't win versus Volkanovski, is a great fight. I think Edison Barbosa, if he can beat one of these guys that I mentioned, like a Calvin Cater or a Korean Zombie, him versus Max Holloway would be an, a, an amazing fan fight, a legend's fight right there. Guys who've been around the UFC forever, some of the best to do it. Both these guys are probably going to be UFC Hall of Famers. So Edison Barbosa in this particular fight put himself in a position where he's going to be able to leap I think close to that top five maybe even inside that top five get a big time fight and see what he's really got at 145 because he's looked great all three fights in this division and I truly believe that uh, this man still has a good run uh, left in the tank as far as my man Shane Burgos goes he he's coming off of L's against Josh Emmett he's coming off of this loss against Barbosa both great fights, both fights of the night. Um, he hits so hard. He just is willing to take so much damage to try to give some damage. I mean, he's such a good dude. He's such a good striker. He's got great kicks. He's got great ground game, but we rarely see him use it. I would love for him to come back whenever he does, take some time off, spend some time with his family. I would love for him to come back and show us a well-rounded version of himself. Because right now, you're talking about a guy who, who fought Calvin Cater. You're talking about a guy not too many fights ago um, who could be sitting inside that top five. If, if, if that fight would have went his way, he ended up by getting knocked out by Cater. He fought Josh Emmett toe-to-toe. Josh, he, and, he, and, and, and Josh Emmett put up a, a performance of his life, and, and, he, and, he, and he lost that fight as well. So these are two guys right inside that top five, Emmett at six and Cal, Calvin Cater at five, that he's fought and done very well against. He's just been on the losing end because he's willing to take so much damage to try to give one or two big shots. If my man could just use those leg kicks like he was starting to use them much earlier in the fight, if he could, when he got up against the fence against Edison Barbosa, instead of backing off the fence and, and going back to the middle and, and, and letting it eat, if he could, if he could pull a takedown, if he could get some ground time, win some rounds that way, it reminds me of someone who just he has. So much skill, but he he sees performance. He sees performances, and he sees entertaining the fans above winning fights. That's what I see when I'm watching his fights. I see a guy who loves mixed martial arts, wants to put on a, an absolute spectacle every time he goes in there. He's part of the all violence team. He calls it. If he could just try to just win a round or two with leg kicks. And with some grappling, I think he would start piling up these wins. And I, I think once he started dictating the fight and the pace of the fight, 
rather than just want to stand in the middle of the octagon and brawl. He would start winning fights against big time dudes. He would start getting those victories instead of being on the short end of the stick. And he would climb up very, very quickly. My man's 29, 30 years old, a lot of fight left in him. He just has so much skill and you want, and I, I, you want to see him display that full skill rather than just standing there. He's entertained us enough. He reminds me of Justin Gaethje when he first came up. When Justin Gaethje first got to the UFC, all my man cared about was knocking dudes out. All my man cared about was winning those performance bonuses. And what happened? Trevor Whitman got a hold of him and he said, hey, we can still knock guys out. We can still win fight of the night. We got to do it in a smart in a smart manner. We got to do it in a, in a way that makes us still win these fights. And you see where Justin Gaethje's at. That reminds me of Shane Burgos, someone with great talent, well-rounded mixed martial artist. But he just puts the all violence over, you know, winning fights and and, and doing it in a, in a in a little bit of a more clean way. So I think he just needs to sharpen those tools up a little bit. He has them all. Maybe he would take a fight against I don't know a Bryce Mitchell or 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 something uh, or or something of that manner to uh, to really get him to use kind of his full his full skill, but. The future is still bright for Shane Burgos. Um, it's super bright for Essen Burgos as well. Looking for both of these men um, to make big splashes. All right, guys. A number four. We're going to be switched up and talk about boxing a little bit. Tyson Fury and Wilder, their fight that was supposed to happen, the, uh, the trilogy fight, has come to a head. And an arbitrator has ruled that Tyson Fury must fight Deontay Wilder per the contract they signed. By September 15th. So what's happened now is they have reserved a uh, they have reserved the Raider Stadium here in La- there in Las Vegas for July 24th, and uh, it's going to be another barn burner. You know, Wilder has really changed up his team. He's really changed up his training regimen. I'm watching him hit pads. I'm watching him be defensive. I'm watching him be a little bit more methodical with the way that he's training and and, and how he's going to be preparing for this fight. And I, I love what I'm seeing because before Wilder was a wild puncher. That's all he really was. He was a guy who had massive power and would just knock dudes out and all it would take was one punch. But when he ran into Tyson Fury, he ran into a man who could take those shots. He ran into a man who was a slick boxer. And it may, I think it's going to make him better. I really do. I think it's going to make Deontay Wilder better. Now, I'm not saying it to the point where he can beat Tyson Fury. To the point where Tyson Fury still won't come out victorious. But it, 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 I think it will be much more of a, of a boxing match. Rather than um, him getting beat up and just throwing massive punches. And I would love to see a more um, technical and a more well-versed Deontay Wilder um, moving forward. Because he has a lot of skill. But I would also like to see Dante Wilder step aside. I would like him to not ask for money. I would like him to maybe go around what that arbitrator has said and let Tyson Fury duke it out with, with Anthony Joshua. Because you are sitting there as the next top contender. You can let Fury and Joshua go at it. You can let those guys beat up on each other. And then you can continue to train and you can be ready for one of those guys maybe early next year, January, February of 2022. But if it goes the way that looks like it's going to go, July 24th, we're going to get Fury versus Wilder 3. I'm interested in seeing that fight. The first fight was solid. 
Fury was coming off that long layoff. Uh, the second fight was dominated by Fury, but per the contract, these guys had to fight a third time. That was part of the deal. And so this uh, this Anthony Joshua fight, this mega this mega Anthony Joshua fight may be on hold for now, but I still believe Tyson Fury will beat Deontay Wilder for, for you know the second time. The first time was a draw and will eventually go fight Anthony Joshua. But I would love for Wilder to step aside, like I said, let Fury go beat up on Joshua. Then maybe Wilder fights Joshua, beats Joshua, and then goes to Fury. I think that would be a nice little stepping stone how to get back to, to that fight. He would make a lot of money along the way. But the contract is the contract, and these men have to fight. I would definitely be buying a pay-per-view. Um, anytime Tyson Fury fights, anytime Wilder fights, you're in for a good one. All right, guys, A number five, and we're talking Triple C, Henry Cejudo. Not a lot has been um, talked about Triple C ever since his very knee-jerk, very quick uh, retirement that he did um, um, over a year ago now. And he tweeted out yesterday, he said, hey, Dana White, so you have a walking Pez dispenser champ at 125, a paper champion, an Oscar winner at 135, and a wannabe crocodile hunter. Alexander Volkanovsky at 145. I'm feeling generous and here to make America great again. Hashtag C4. If Henry Cejudo comes back, this would be the perfect time to do it because he left right as these as these guys, these killers, Figueredo, um, all these dudes were, were kind of coming back. And he came back and he fought um, he fought against Cruz and you know, he kind of walked off into the sunset. But we all thought it was too. We all thought it was too soon. We all thought it was um, it was kind of maybe a ploy to try to get more money, um, maybe something to stir up some media attention. But he seems like he wants to return. He's been teasing it. He's been teasing it. And honestly, Triple C, I think he go he could go triple champ. I think he could go one twenty five. He could go one thirty five, and he could go one forty five. The reason I say that is because Alexander Volkanovsky is a menace in the sense of his ability to uh, pressure guys, his ability to wrestle, and his ability to strike. But Henry Cejudo has the same ability. Never, never, never empty gas tank. Amazing wrestling ability, and he has the ability to knock people out. 135, I don't think it would even be a, a, a fight. I don't think the, the uh, Aljamain Sterling could really put up um, any type of fight. Against Henry Cejudo in, 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 in that weight class, he he would be too strong. He would out wrestle him. He would out strike him. Think of a Peter Yan type punching striking power, but uh, superior wrestling to um, uh, you know Aljamain Sterling. So I think he would clean up that 135 belt. The 125 belt would be tough. The 125 belt would be tough because after this long off, after not cutting the weight. Um, Getting back down to 125 and fighting a guy like Figueredo with that much power, um, I think would be tough on him. Figueredo is a he's a dog on the mat. He's an amazing jiu-jitsu um, practicer. He has a he has amazing stand-up. He has power. We've seen that. So the 125 belt, honestly, for me, will be the hardest belt for uh, a Cejudo to recapture. But I would love to see him come back at a uh, at a 145 because honestly that division a little bit stagnant at the top you got max holloway sitting there who's fought triple c three times 
You got Yair Rodriguez, who maybe is suspended. I'm not really sure. Hasn't fought in, in a very long time, so he's not going to get a title shot right away. Then you got um, Kareem Zombie sitting there. He just coming off a bad loss against Ortega, so he's not getting a title shot anytime soon. Calvin Cater just got basically run run run, run out of the stadium when he fought uh, when he fought Max Holloway a couple months ago. So that the top of that division, you have Ortega, who's going to fight uh, Volkanovski here soon. They're 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 doing the Ultimate Fighter, and then they're going to fight. Then you have Max Holloway sitting there for a fourth fight. Are we really going to see a fourth fight between Max Holloway and Ortega? I would say probably not. If there's any other option, absolutely not. And I think Triple C could slide right in and he could potentially, after the Ortega fight, if Ortega um, loses to Volkanovski, which I, I think most people think uh, he probably will, no disrespect, Volkanovski is just a, a different animal. I think that Triple C fight versus Volkanovski would be the would be the fight to make for his comeback. I think it'd be the fight to make because it's in a new weight class, and it kind of freshens that division up a little bit. At 135, you have a lot of talent. Sanhagen's coming. You got um, you have Dillashaw coming back. Of course, you have to rematch between um, Sterling and Jan. So that division is still exciting. Figueroa, the 125 division. You know that that kind of is what it is. It's it's, it's always been. Um, you know. Kind of iffy, but Figueredo has 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 reignited that division, and he has some some good opponents on his hands. But I would love to see Triple C return at 145. I think that's his best matchup, other than 135. But I don't think he gets that shot right away. I think the 145 belt is set up for him to come back in and uh, possibly get a shot right away. All right, guys, inning number six, and we're going to be going around the town talking about some things inside the UFC realm. I don't know if you guys saw, but Derek Lewis. Someone tried to break into Derek Lewis's car. Talk about the wrong car to try to break into. And Derek Lewis apparently um, knocks this man out. He tried to break into his car. Derek caught him, knocked him out, uh, called the police, and uh, he got arrested. So if you're out there, you know we, we've seen someone try to rob jo- John Jones' house. My man has a attack dog and probably every gun known to man. Now he weighs about 300 pounds. Um, he looks like a damn big polar bear. Uh, he looks so big. Um, so we try to have, we had a guy try to rob John Jones house and now we have a guy trying to, um, rob Derek Lewis's car, uh, maybe carjack. I'm not really sure, but, um, it would be best if people are out there trying to commit crimes. Um, well, first of all, you shouldn't commit crimes, but definitely shouldn't try to commit crimes against, uh, these type of, (laughs) these type of UFC fighters. We have Rob Font versus uh, versus Cody Garbrandt this weekend. That's going to be a great fight. Cody Garbrandt um, was supposed to, um, you know, possibly fight for the belt a couple months ago. Uh, then he was talking about a possible Dillashaw uh, fight, uh, but he lands with Rob Font, and uh, Rob Font's a heck of a fighter. He, he's a challenge. He's a challenge for uh, Cody Garbrandt. Someone who has who has real knockout power. He's coming off of uh, the 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 Marlon Marias win. He beat uh, Ricky Simone not too long ago as well, and Pettis, who's now, of course, uh, the, 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 the Bellator champion. So he's coming off of a lot of really, really, really good fights. Um, and Cody Garbrandt, of course, coming off that knockout win, uh, coming off that knockout win against uh, Sun Xiao. And so we'll see how it goes. Um, I honestly think Rob Font um, has a really, really good chance at winning this fight. And if he does, he's going to jump up into that upper echelon, um, you know, uh, 135 division, he's going to be right in the mix. They're both strikers. Um, Cody 
did have that walk-off knockout against uh, against Asuncion last time, but I just didn't see what I wanted to see out of Cody in that last fight. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I saw I saw him losing that fight. I saw him down possibly two rounds to nothing uh, before that before that knockout to, to end the second round. So this is going to be a big fight, a big fight for Cody Garbrandt, a big fight for Rob Font. Um, so we're going to see. Um, we're going to see. We're going to see this weekend, but this is going to be a fight that is going to really help determine and shape up that top five in that 135 division. Uh, we got John Jones. John Jones um, not fighting Francis Ngannou, uh, could not come to a contract agreement with the UFC. That's uh, unfortunate because that's the fight that we were all expecting, right? John Jones vacates his title. He says, "Hey, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go up to heavyweight. I'm gonna bulk up." You have Ngannou on this crazy tear. He's just coming for that belt. Stipe, you know, a, a heck of a fighter, greatest UFC uh, heavyweight champion we've ever seen. Um, definitely a UFC Hall of Famer. Someone that is just deserves so much more respect and love than I think that he gets. But we knew that Ngannou was coming for that belt, and we knew it was gonna time up, and John Jones was gonna be ready to fight Ngannou, a fight that, I mean, you cannot draw it up any better. Can't come to an agreement with the UFC. So now Ngannou gets Derek Lewis. So Dana White says, hey, Stipe's out there. We could do a Stipe versus John Jones fight. John Jones on Twitter said, eh, ain't interested in Stipe. So at this point, I don't know if we see John Jones fight again. I mean, he's 33-ish. Um has plenty of money. Doesn't seem like he's willing to fight unless it's for big time bucks. And doesn't look like he's willing to fight unless he's a champion. And unfortunately, this is the first time in like 12 years, John Jones has not been the champion. So he is used to calling the shots. He's used to picking his opponents. He's used to, you know, being the shot caller, being the one that says, yeah, I'm going to fight. No, I'm not going to fight. And, and always knowing he has that belt, but he doesn't have that belt anymore. And the UFC is kind of on top of him. They're kind of over him on this. They have the contract. They 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 have the the, the they're, they're the law. And so John Jones wanting so much money apparently to fight, which I think he deserved, by the way, absolutely should have been given as much money as he wanted. Um, of course, at a reasonable amount, let's say a hundred million dollars, but he should have gotten the money that he was searching for for that Nagano fight. Didn't happen. So at this point, I honestly don't know um, if we're going to see John Jones back inside the UFC octagon. And of course, Conor McGregor, he had to chime in. He said, congrats to Oliveira on becoming the 11th UFC lightweight champion. I wonder who 12 is. Um, and of course, Oliveira responded to, to Conor telling him to worry about Poirier. But um, Conor seems focused, man. He seems determined. He said he's going to do this camp away from his family, something he hasn't done in quite some time. I'm interested to see in what kind of camp Connor's going to run. Is Connor going to run the camp that he ran when he went to fight uh, Habib? Is he going to fight the type of camp that he run that he ran when he went to fight Cowboy Cerrone, who hasn't won a fight in damn near three years? Is he going to run the same camp when he went to fight Poirier? Is he going to be on the fast program? Is he going to be on his bike? Is he going to be fighting these dudes that he's so much superior than? It it, it, it it doesn't even matter that he's really even training or is he going to push himself? Is he going to leave? Is he going to leave Ireland? Is he going to go 
Is he going to go train with some Muay Thai champions? Is he going to go get some get, get some grappling work? Maybe I don't know. I mean, he can't go to AKA, but maybe American Top Team. I don't know. You know, maybe go work go work with Colby. Go work with Colby Covington. Go go work with someone who uh, can give you grappling experience. Go work with these guys who are in the same realm as you. Because if he doesn't do that, he's going to lose again, and he's not going to be the twelfth. Dustin Poirier may be the twelfth. I do think Charles Oliveira probably beats him Poirier, but that's another conversation. Um, but regardless, Connor needs to mix it up. He needs to show us what he's got because if he wants to be the twelfth lightweight champion in the UFC history, he's going to have to bring something different than we saw the last time against Poirier. He's going to have to bring a different style. He's going to have to bring a different uh, team, a different cardio level. Sometimes cardio, you can't help it. Sometimes guys are just too too muscular and, and, and they gas out. But I think that if he would get out of his comfort zone a little bit, which is hard, comfort zone's nice. My man made $180 million this year, according to Forbes. That nah. That real nah. It's hard to, as Dustin Poirier said, get out of bed when you're wearing silk, when you're wearing silk pajamas. And I get it. But my man has a lot left to give, I think, and he has a lot of talent to show us. That Poirier fight did not display who Conor McGregor is. Um, it was someone that I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize his stance. I didn't recognize the the talk. I didn't recognize any of it. So we'll see if our if our original bad guy makes his way back and if he can mix it up and uh, give us a performance of a lifetime and maybe, maybe have a chance at a 12th belt. All right, you guys, that is it for me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was uh, it's nice and sunny here in San Fran. Nice and bright and early. Um, we're looking to, to to win a couple games against the A's and uh, then bring it back to Texas uh, before we get home again. So hopefully soon we get the walkout podcast back together. We're working on getting a travel studio, so to speak, some mics, things of that nature to make it easier um, on us. But hope you enjoyed the show. Still looking forward to giving you guys content. Hopefully every week now we have a good set. We have a good schedule set up, so expect shows every single week. I'm Lance McCullers Jr. I was your host today. I'll see you next week. Serious XM Podcasts.